Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, the listeners of Foreign Policy Talks Podcast. Thank you so much for being the loyal followers of this platform. I'm happy and very grateful uh, to continue our interviews and podcast conversation uh, with young and aspiring thinkers from all around the world. And uh, to continue the year-end review that we just posted uh, recently, talking about the global issues, some uh, you know, a lot of things that are happening in the year of 2022. Um, I'd like to make it more focused on Southeast Asia. And, and, and again, I'm very thankful of having three of my colleagues, the members of Southeast Asian Society of Foreign Affairs. Let me invite all of them one by one and invite them to introduce themselves as well. So then you, you know what, what is their background. So let me start with Jesslyn. So we have Jesslyn Tan here. Hi, Jesslyn. How are you? Hi, hi, Nato. I'm great. Thank you so much for the invitation. And it's, uh, it's an honor for me to speak here today. So I am a researcher at the Maritime Institute of Malaysia. And I'm so happy to be here today. Okay, so you are observing maritime issues mostly, yeah? Yeah. So right. my research interests are on ASEAN major power relations and the maritime security issues in Southeast Asia. Right. Awesome. It sounds very important and, and also very difficult at the same time. <laughs> anyway, let me invite uh, my, my friend from Cambodia, Chai Lim. How are you, Chai? Hi, Noto, and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm doing good. I Thank you for having me in this uh, episode of the Foreign Policy Talk podcast. Uh, I'm Lim Chai. I'm a program manager in charge of Foreign Affairs Project at the Conrad Adenauer Foundation, a German political think tank operating worldwide. And I am based in Cambodia office. Um, recently, I'm also joining the EU ASEAN think tank dialogue, the Engage Project as a research fellow uh, funded by the European Commission. Thank you. Thank you, Chai. It sounds very, uh, very, very, uh, you know, important job. Um, the last one is uh, my friend from Thailand. Chanat Ananta Panyasud, is, is that correct? Yes, <laughs> Hi, correct. Yes. Hi, everyone. Greeting from Bangkok. I'm Chanat Ananta Panyasud, or you can call me Chanat. Uh, I am now a second secretary uh, at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Thailand. Uh, I'm working about Myanmar issues now, and it's my pleasure to discuss with all of you here and also greeting everyone uh, who is listening to this podcast. I hope we can have um, a constructive conversation and yeah, just share some lesson learned or what we experienced throughout the year to all of you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Janet. So let me start with one, uh, you know, triggering question uh, before we dig deeper on a lot of things happening in our region this year. Um, if, I, if I may ask you uh, to describe Southeast Asia, ASEAN this year in one word, what will it be? And uh, you may share the reasoning behind your answer. Uh, who wants to start? <laughs> One word. I know it's uh, difficult to choose, right? Uh, because so many things can define a region actually this year. So, Jesslyn, you want to start? Jesslyn, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. So... My keyword for this year will be competition because we can see the heightening competition between the great powers 
and not only the great powers but also the major powers and also with uh among the major powers so and also not only in southeast asia but also in other regions as well so i would say this com competition between the major powers will have implications to our region too even though it's happening in other regions and what can we do as middle powers or small states to prevent the height, not to, to prevent the consequences of this major power competition in our region. Wow, that's a very strong message. So competition is your word, yeah. Okay, uh, I'll I'll follow up on that. Yes. Okay. So let me continue with Chai. So Chai, so what's your word to describe Southeast Asia or ASEAN this year? Okay, with that question, I expected that we share a similar view among our speakers here. Uh, also similar to Jesslyn, but I would like to use the term spotlight. And the spotlight here refers to the attractive platform and the dynamic geographical proximity of Southeast Asia. And that means um, it becomes already the arena for the geopolitical contest as the recent exaggerating US-China strategic competition making the spotlight shown on this region. And people wish to see how the major powers play with the strategy to influence Southeast Asian states. And when one talking about the US-China rivalry, right, we often look at Southeast Asia region. It remains one of the good case studies, I would say, for our scholar. Uh, when everyone talk about U.S.-China major power rivalry, right? And that also because Southeast Asia is the heart of Indo-Pacific region and people talking about Indo-Pacific, right? Um, with that being said as well, uh, I remember when President Biden was here in Phnom Penh for the ASEAN summit, he also uh, emphasized one statement that everyone uh, feel interested in and also a lot of media quoted that he said ASEAN is the heart of his administration's Indo-Pacific strategy. So you can see how the importance of Southeast Asia to, to major power policy, especially to the American um, China containment strategy, as well as the China BOI uh, implementation. And the second, especially for 2022, it's become once again a brighter spotlight because, you know, Thailand hosted APEC. Cambodia hosted the ASEAN Summit and Indonesia hosted the G20 with all of these important global issue discussion platform. Everyone really paid attention to Southeast Asia. So I would say uh, um, um, I use the term uh, spotlight that everyone really pay attention to the region and to especially to see how ASEAN responds to the common global issue that we're all facing. Thank you, Chai. I think it's very interesting. So ASEAN has become a spotlight this year. And of course, a lot of questions will follow, especially on how we as a region can respond to this, right? Uh, when we become the main attention of many countries worldwide. Uh, but before dig deeper on that, um, let me invite Chanat. So Chanat, uh, from somebody who is working in the foreign ministry and you're also from Thailand, how do you describe Southeast Asia this year in one word? You know, surprisingly, I think Chai and me can be twins because the word spotlight uh, was one of the words that I it popped up in my mind when I 
think about the, um, the situation in Southeast Asia this year. And I just typed in my, my laptop now that I'm going to use the word spotlight. But Wen Chai can present it very well. So I think I'm going <laughs> to change. Um, actually, actually, I think um, Chai and uh, I have a similar perspective on how we see Southeast Asia this year, uh, especially on the um, thing that uh, we are the host of major events this year. So I'm going to change into like something very common and very easy word, uh, which is a noun word, calling the host, because yes, we hosted uh, three major events this year, uh, ASEAN Summit, and um, as a Cambodia as a chair of ASEAN this year, uh, Indonesia as the host of the G20 uh, Summit, and also Thailand as um, the host of APEC. And, you know, um, one of the most important things is that because Two or three years ago, we don't have this kind of physical meetings between leaders and we don't have kind of um, physical interaction between prominent leaders of the world for a while. And as you can see, the situation this year, not just in ASEAN and in, at the global level, has been changed a lot, especially the situation between Ukraine and Russia. And there are no any venues that countries around the world or major countries can talk about this frankly or physically but what we do this year uh, especially on how Cambodia invited foreign minister of Ukraine or uh, we are the platform for the first time that President Biden and uh, President Xi Jinping met each other in person after um, his um, President Biden inauguration in 20. Uh, in several years ago. And also, this is the first time the presidency um, visited other countries after a COVID pandemic. So I think the word host means that we are not simply the host venues for those major, uh, for, for the meeting, but we are also the place for these major powers to meet and also we facilitate. And we also draft some kind of uh, content and also we also shape something that can invite these major powers to meet each other. And also many countries can perform their role very well and harness the, oppor uh, the opportunity of being the host of these meetings in presenting its stance and position at the international level, especially Cambodia and Indonesia as um, the hosts and the chairs of important meetings this year. Thank you. Thank you, China. I think I agree with you that uh, becoming the host of many uh, major multilateral meetings or regional meetings, uh, I think showing to us the relevance of ASEAN, right? But I think as uh, hosting them will be just symbolically be uh, seen by many of uh, uh, the observers. But uh, we will discuss more on how it can be substantially also be meaningful to the ASEAN relevance by becoming this host. Uh, of of many meetings this year, uh, that's why I like to continue with Chai. So Chai, uh, so China share about that. Uh, Cambodia was also hosting the ASEAN summit, right? And Tom Fan there. In your view, what are the interesting insights we can take away from this uh, summit, Chai? And do you see any interesting interaction coming from the leaders that joined the summit? Well, um, one and. Um undeniable fact that I can say is that uh, we are right at the critical point of the human history. Why I said so? Because no one would expect it before the COVID-19 happened 
that we will have this kind of global pandemic crisis. Um, and then we just slowly walk away from the COVID-19 and start to discuss the economic uh, recovery. Uh, but then we still have the what's happening in Myanmar, what's happening in Ukraine with the Russia invasion, all of this. That is why with this year ASEAN chairmanship, um, the Prime Minister of Cambodia, he opened the statement in, this, uh, in the uh, opening ceremony of the uh, 40 and 41st ASEAN Summit in Phnom Penh that he mentioned clearly with the word that we are right at the very uncertain, uh, uh, he, he used the word, um, the most uncertain juncture, while the socio-economic situation remained fragile and divided. With that being said, I would say this year, the chairmanship is truly a testament for ASEAN's credibility for sustaining its resilience and responsiveness, as well as the centrality. Um, and also it reflects the membership, uh, the member states togetherness to, to thrive with all aspects of uh, community building efforts. And as usual, ASEAN produced uh, the worthy documents again. This is the tradition. And at the end, we need to come up with the chairman's statement. So it was smooth this year, I would say, because um, you know, with the Cambodia history of the chairmanship in 2012, that everyone um, still remind uh, this kind of uh, unpopular history. And uh, uh, people still remember what happened in 2012, that the foreign minister meeting in Cambodia was not able to issue a joint communique because of the debate in the room about the South China Sea issue. But this year, it's more different that uh, we managed to issue all of the chairman's statement with with the ASEAN way that we call consensus. And everyone is um, happy with that. Um, this is interesting that uh, I, I would say it's a sign of unity that we've come together to compromise, uh, to coordinate uh, diplomatically and agree with what we all uh, see as a, a challenge, a common challenge for the region. And with the four main documents, I'm not going to um, um, specify each point of the document that they released, but uh, th three short points I would like to say is as how ASEAN responds to the geopolitical issues. The thing is, I would like to emphasize and what I observed from the submit is that ASEAN never wished to take side, especially when it comes to the issue that might affect its own national interests of each state. As uh, uh, for example, the hottest issue being debate, the US-China competition, and with the U.S.-China competition, the red line here is the development in the Taiwan Strait. No state in Southeast Asia that wish to discuss intensively about this issue when the U.S. and China representatives are in the room. And the you can see the ASEAN position is clear that they try to maintain the middle point that they wish not to say uh, anything sensitive about Taiwan Strait. But the symbolic words that they prefer to use is to uh, to have the stability, of course, the peaceful uh, status quo of the region. Uh, so they still wish to see the stable and uh, peaceful development in the Taiwan Strait. And they hope that major power can continue to enhance their, their dialogue uh, with these kind of sensitive issues. The second point is Cambodia come up with the initiative of establishing the ASEAN Green Deal, which is still under discussion. It's not a final adoption for ASEAN implementation yet, but it's more of like proposing the initiative for the region to consider when everyone starts to discuss about the climate change and the environmental impact of the world. 
um, and also with that to uh, establish the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership or SEP Secretariat in Phnom Penh. And that's also a proposed initiative uh, under the discussion. And I think that two points will, will continue the discussion in the Indonesia chairmanship as well. Um, because RCEP, uh is the largest uh, free trade block now, um, if uh, because it's it, it was earlier launched the negotiation 10 years ago in 2012 under the Cambodia chairmanship and 10 years later again, the chairmanship here um, make the RCEP enter into force. And the third point and also the hot test point that everyone paid attention on and also expected to see the outcome is the ASEAN leader review and decision on Myanmar issue. Um, with that take, I think uh, everyone expected more on ASEAN. And that kind of expectation was also because, you know, after the execution of the political activists, uh, we have the emergency call meeting in Jakarta. Uh, uh, by the foreign minister of ASEAN. And that is why they expected to see the key recommendation because that time they were discussing about key recommendation to be submitted to the ASEAN submit. And they even said uh, ASEAN submit is a higher level to decide on the next step on Myanmar military. And when come out with the, the leader statement on decision, review and decision on Myanmar, some might expect that it will be a stronger pressure and action but it's come with um, still lack of a bit of strong pressure and also the strong uh, plan of action toward the Myanmar. So it might disappoint a bit to the observer of Myanmar issues. But if you look closely to the statement, I wish to highlight a few points that are very important is that they change the tone, you know, how ASEAN leaders view the situation in Myanmar. They change the tone and they change the language. A lot of scholars agree that with the change of tone, it can be a sign to pointing the finger, you know, it's a finger pointing out to the junta themselves, not any other group, but also only to the, you know, but also but to the, the, the specific uh, military junta. Um, that in the statement, they use the term Myanmar military force, while the previous statement, they prefer to use the term state administration council, in short, it's suck. Um, and also when it comes to the violence, now ASEAN condemned solely on the largest single military force, which is Myanmar military force. And that's Min Ong Liang is the head. So, so you can see the stronger tone here and that they said it's the sole responsibility of the head of military in Myanmar, which is strongly opposed by afterward the statement of the military government. You can see the statement to oppose the ASEAN statement, while the NUG government issue a supporting statement to that kind of strong tone. Um, and the second point on the Myanmar as well is that they citing that all party concerned that their arms should be uh, fairly held accountable and condemned for their violence, like I said earlier. So that's a, a, a finger pointing point. Uh, but after, uh, it's interesting to see the representation of Myanmar. Now the representation of Myanmar become flexible and informal, which means that there is still possibility of cancelling the representation at the lower level. Because earlier this year, you can see they banned the, the Myanmar representative only in the foreign minister meeting at the ASEAN summit. But you still can see the senior official level somehow and also 
the defense minister, but after the ASEAN summit, the defense minister plus excluded excluded the the Myanmar defense minister appointed by the military. So so you can see a bit of change of, of ASEAN action, and perhaps ASEAN also would like to send a sign that we are still not giving a clear legitimacy to the military government, just like the criticism keeps going that ASEAN might might give some legitimacy to Min Ong Liang, but not. Um, this is a sign of ASEAN. And the, the third point, and also the last point I would like to make is that ASEAN is more determined because everyone said ASEAN lost the unity, ASEAN lost the credibility, lost the centrality in dealing with the the Myanmar issue, but now uh, they would like to emphasize again that Myanmar is remain the member of the family, even though the complicated situation on the ground. But ASEAN is still keep doing the uh, keep doing it and keep taking out the action to have the Myanmar back to normalcy. So that's a interesting point that I see from the uh, conclusion of the submit. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Chai. It's always very comprehensive observation from Chai. And I think it's very, uh, you know, uh, 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 good to know and understand that the summit is actually show ASEAN, uh, you know, addressing a lot of criticism that has been delivered to them, right? Um, especially that ASEAN is no longer relevant, ASEAN is no longer determined to, to find a way in the midst of the geopolitical warfare between US and China and so on and so forth. And uh, let me continue with Chanet. So Chanet, uh, continue to what Chai has shared. What do you think are the biggest challenges to Southeast Asia uh, politically, right? And how do you think that the summit exactly has shown to us uh, the, the best solution that ASEAN can find to, to, to have more stability this year? Okay, so when answering this question, I think... Um... Um, building on your uh, question and Chai answer, I'm going to answer um, the biggest challenges to Southeast Asian political stability as a regional view, not uh, focusing on each um, country in particular. I think um, the biggest challenge of um, political stability in Southeast Asia now is the fragmentation um, between each country. Sorry for um, saying this, it might be kind of a little bit pessimistic compared to Chai's um, perspective on on um, ASEAN. But I think because now uh, actually fragmentation of, of um, ASEAN countries doesn't happen just only this year, uh, but it has been um, the problem of ASEAN for long time especially on the um, on the position towards major issues within the region and also at the international level for instance how we position ourselves to major power rivalries some countries are very keen to support um, the US but some countries uh, has been influenced by China so you can see especially how when it comes to the negotiation on each important documents in ASEAN, for instance, like joint communique or some kind of like documents within ASEAN, especially for instance, like uh, the code of conduct in the South China, so you can see how fragmenting ASEAN countries uh, views have um, within the region now. Uh, so that is the first one. The second one is the fragmentation of the views and positions on the situation in Myanmar. 
So you can see, as uh, Chai said, that um, this year they have a further recommendation on how to deal with the situation in Myanmar. But as you can see that uh, we have different perspective on how we um, handle with the situation in Myanmar. Some countries are very radical on how to deal with uh, with Myanmar authority. Some countries would like to uh, have non-political representatives um, to all uh, meetings in uh, ASEAN meetings, and not just only in the foreign ministers and also uh, the ASEAN summit, but also include to other um, meetings, for instance, like in the economic section uh, in, in the AEC pillar or the ASCC pillars. But we don't have consensus on, on this matter because we have differing views on this. Uh, some countries still think that uh, there's a way to deal with Myanmar. You have to find the convergence between uh, the military authority and also uh, the opposition group, as someone say that there are the opposition groups now. So you can see that uh, when it comes to the differing views and you can't find any consensus in this matter, it affects now the core of ASEAN and also um, what we have always called the ASEAN way. That, for instance, like, does... Actually, this kind of question has been uh, criticized for long. For instance, like, does the concept of consensus remain relevant to ASEAN at this moment? Does... Uh, I don't know, does the, the consultation uh, is the core, remains the core approach of how to deal with the situation in ASEAN. We don't have any kind of like resolute or the perfect answers to this question. But what we can see is that when it comes to the fragmentation of positions or views in, between or among ASEAN countries, it indeed affects the core of ASEAN and it indeed affects the credibility of ASEAN when it comes to on how to deal with the situation in the region. And also in the next um, future, who knows, someone going to say that if ASEAN cannot deal with any kind of situation or cannot effectively address these regional situations, how do we need to have ASEAN so far? So as I said, if, um, okay, to conclude, for me, I think the biggest challenge to ASEAN uh, political stability this year remains the fact that there's still a huge and big fragmentation between ASEAN countries, both in terms of perspectives towards regional situations and also the perspectives and position towards the geopolitical landscape um, at the global level. Thank you so much, Janet. Uh, I will follow up on you uh, about things that you share, but I'd like to proceed with Jocelyn. So Jocelyn, uh, do you agree with what China has said before that ASEAN has a big fragmentation even within the group? And and uh, how do you think ASEAN as, uh, you know, people say about middle power, right? So do you think as uh, ASEAN as a middle power agency can be a way out? Uh, to to stay neutral under the geopolitical referee, so or any solutions that come up on your mind. I think I agree with what Shana is saying that ASEAN is having a a, a division internally, because even though we are all saying that ASEAN states are practicing hedging strategy, but due to the geopolitical developments in the region, 
we can see that actually each ASEAN state still have its own preference, but very implicitly. For example, the recent announcement by the US and Philippines to revive the um, US military bases in the Subic Bay and also to um, ele elevate their defense relations under the, uh, the defense treaty. Uh, you can is it the sign that the the Philippines is forging a closer relations with the U.S. and other than the U.S. the Philippines actually also have has a um VFA with Australia and is also seeking a closer defense ties with Japan also a fellow U.S. ally. So is it also an indication that one of the Southeast Asian states are not neutral anymore we also have our own preference and other than the philippines which is closing for closer ties forging closest ties with the us and its allies we can also see cambodia laos and myanmar which traditionally have closer economic ties with china which some scholars have criticized not criticized have uh, commented that they are china's best close friends in this region for example, Cambodia, which has been um, in in their 2016 chairmanship, they uh, try to stop the release of uh, the communique, the joint communique, which to, to mention the word South China Sea because of the South China Sea Arbitral Award in that year. So we can see there is actually a division among the ASEAN states on which great power to choose during amidst the great power competition. So even though people are saying ASEAN is neutral, ASEAN states are practicing hedging, but due to the heightening geopolitical tensions in the South China Sea and also in the Taiwan Straits, ASEAN also ASEAN states are feeling the sense of sense of urgency. And it might Chinese actions in the South China Sea or even the U.S. activities in the Taiwan Strait and in the South China Sea might push ASEAN state to choose uh, one side, but not completely because ASEAN states still have strong economic relations with China. But in security aspects, some, some ASEAN states are moving towards the U.S. And in terms of a middle power agency, in my opinion, it is something possible because a middle power agency is not only with us among ASEAN but also uh, it is a sign of a multipolar Indo-Pacific because ma many middle powers like Japan, Australia, India, South Korea and even and also the EU and also the UK they are showing greater interest in the Indo-Pacific region with their respective Indo-Pacific strategies so this uh Indo Pacific these middle powers they can be an alternative to the great powers when it comes to cooperation such as um, connectivity infrastructure economy and even security for example maritime security is a very good um uh, platform is a very good platform for middle powers to start their cooperation on such as the Australia, India, Indonesia trilateral partnership to maritime to strengthen the maritime cooperation within these three countries is a mini lateral 
agency among these three middle powers on maritime security cooperation. And it can slowly evolve into a larger agency by having more middle powers joining. So a middle power agency is to, for me, in my opinion, is to shift the narrative from military and great power competition to more cooperation on functional issues. Because the narrative here in this region has been focusing too much on the strategic competition. So functional cooperation has been also been dominated by the the rhetoric and the competition between the great powers. So as middle powers, we should try to group together and try to shift the focus back to functional corporations and to reduce the heightening tensions between the great powers. So I think a middle power agency is possible and this middle power agency can focus on more functional issues to become an alternative to the strategic competition between the great powers. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's very interesting, Jocelyn. Uh, I remember one time I was asked, uh, like Indonesia has become the the president of G20, Cambodia as the chairman of uh, ASEAN this year, and many other roles that smaller countries, uh, I mean, compared to the superpower like the US and China, can play a very significant role, right? Especially this year. We all witnessed a lot of things happening this year. It shows uh, how um uh many countries can actually uh play a very uh you know like fundamental role in navigating the future uh, uh geopolitically and geoeconomically and i think that's a very uh, uh important uh, line justlin to remind us that middle power agency can also work and then uh, to to make sure that a, a lot of people are not focusing only on the strategic competition between superpowers um, I would like to continue with Chai. Chai, you, you see that we, uh, we have the U.S.-China special summit in Bali uh, weeks ago, showing how China and the U.S. is uh, are trying to find the common ground, right, uh, in the midst of a lot of competition between these two power. How do you see about the summit? And <clears throat> do you think ASEAN can actually find... Um, a way to use this, you know, like latest development of the U.S.-China relationship to find the best way, uh, and 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 uh, you know, in 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 responding to the geopolitical landscape today. Thank you. Um. So, I say that when the of course you say the U.S.-China relationship right is the most important bilateral relationship in the world because they are development will also have a certain impact on small states and middle powers as well, especially Southeast Asia. But the thing is, talking is good. Um, you need to look at the outcome because there's still a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of disagreement between the US and China. Even they meet and talk in person for, for long hours, two hours or three hours. They still uh, has not reached the agreement that uh, because of course you cannot um, force the US to agree with what China thinks and China um, US cannot force China to agree with what the US thinks. Um, there's a lot of disagreement point, especially how they perceive um, the sensitive issues that's really deteriorated the bilateral relations. 
especially how the U.S. view Xinjiang, how the U.S. view Hong Kong and Taiwan issues. While the Chinese side said it's a purely domestic affairs, but the U.S. has no right to to criticize, has no right to point it out, and all of this agreement point, which still still has blocked the way out, um, how to improve or to see a bit um improvement between the yeah, U.S. and China. So when you talk about U.S.-China special summit, even they meet and they talk, I, I still have a pessimistic view about U.S.-China relationship, at least in the next five to 10 years. The competition will continue or even go more intensified. Uh, we need to expect wow. this kind of yeah consequence. Uh, so uh, you want years, to jump in here? No, 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 no. Continue. I just, I just expressed my surprise. So you think that the, yeah. the next 10 years competition is still going on there? Yeah. It's still going on, and 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 it's been grow grow even more intensified, and with Southeast Asia, um, I think uh many scholars use the word uh engagement, uh when it comes to U.S. China and their relation impact on Southeast Asia, engagement somehow is good, you know, because the combination between confrontation and engagement. So they said the term, they coined the term engagement. With engagement is that um of course they have the con confrontation the conflict the the competition for for influence in the region, um which is normal right in international politics when a rising a rising power uh now China become a rising power uh a U.S. dominant the world order since the um the the collapse of the Soviet Union. And until now, of course, when you have one state to challenge the the recent power, there will be the confrontation, the containment strategy come out. But at the same time, they do have engagement that we saw um, um, taps the potential from that kind of engagement. And it's up to us on how to manage this kind of engagement that you can extract the benefits so there is a pessimistic view side when it comes to confrontation. But at the same time, there's a positive way that you can see um, there's some potential to extract out away from the engagement of the superpower. And it's still engaged. Um, as you can see, the presence of Biden and the presence of Xi Jinping in Southeast Asia for this kind of important meeting, um, this is the engagement. And now the U.S. is that the U.S. side is that their narrative is trying to provide the alternative to Southeast Asia, while Southeast Asia states enjoy the economic benefits from China already with the existing project, for example, Belt and Road Initiative and other economic cooperation mechanisms. I would not say only Laos, Cambodia, and Myanmar that go forge a closer tie to China. All of the Southeast Asian state has a closer tie to. To China, including Singapore, um, but maybe uh, because Singapore has a, a bit. I agree that it's a smarter strategy with the hedging. They just mentioned earlier the hedging strategy, but the thing is, all of the Southeast Asia and institutionally ASEAN as a whole is a largest trading largest trading partner to China with China, right? Uh, for the twelve, and now it's continue to this year. So. 13, if I'm not wrong, a uh, consecutive year. Um, with that being said, is that this is the way that we can tap the potential from the engagement of superpower. And because of we enjoy the benefit of economic ties with China, 
the U.S. trying to provide the alternative. And China has the BRI. They propose the better infrastructure quality project, maybe the Build Back Better. I'm not sure how it's going on with the implementation and the newly launched Indo-Pacific Economic Frameworks. This kind of economic alternative try to challenge the position of Southeast Asia. It's very hard to stay neutral. I agree with uh, our two fellow earlier that mentioned there's no neutrality, divided position. Of course, I think it's very normal. I'm not expressing the pessimistic view on not being uh, neutral because a small state, right, when it comes to this kind of major power things, it's very hard to manage. Um, but it's it's not reaching the point that you need to totally choose the side at the moment. We are still at the point that we still have the the flexibility somehow at the moment. I'm not sure if it's the future uncertainty, but at the moment, we are not totally neutral, but I emphasize that we are not reaching the point that we really on one side already. So we still um, play around with both that how the engagement of both that can benefit. Singapore also not a state to oppose the BOI, but Singapore also a state to support the IPEF of the US. Uh, at least Cambodia is a bit uh, cautious and doubtful about the IPEF. If it can be a containment strategy, then Cambodia is not joining because there's a limited capacity to go against any certain major power because of the different history, right? Cambodia has learned from the history that uh, choosing one side will result in a mass destruction of the country. That is why when it's come to the new um, uh, initiative by the one certain major power to challenge the existing initiative of another major power, it will be a very doubtful decision. But look at how um, this small state, for example, the case of Cambodia to support the launch of Indo-Pacific strategy of South Korea, of uh, uh, Japan. Because uh, when earlier, when Abe was alive, when Abe was in power, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was in power, that when he launched the Indo-Pacific strategy of Japan, Cambodia was the among the first state to express the support which means that this is how we play around with uh, diversifying the partners and also trying to supporting another party, except U.S. and China, uh, more than U.S. and China. <laughs> right. So um, um, that, that question also linked to the term relevance. Of course, ASEAN stay relevant, even though in a certain issue that ASEAN doesn't have a common view or common uh like because the 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 what what the point that Justin point out earlier is that state has different preference right when you have different preference it's very hard to 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 discuss that how can we go with the same direction on this point because when you go to the same direction it's benefit a certain state but it's not benefit another certain state or benefit ASEAN as a whole so that is why the point that we cannot agree and disagreement is fine. In my view is that we still can disagree with each other. We still can have different view, which is fine. But the commitment remains to come together and keep continue to discuss and keep open the door for dialogue to enhance the mutual understanding. At least we are not at the point that we really close the door not to discuss, not to talk to each other anymore. This is an important point. So that's how I define the term relevance here. Uh, when it comes to the sensitive issue like the US-China rivalry 
or or other sensitive issues that might challenge the position of the ASEAN member state. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Chai. Uh, Chanet, so you see in, in Southeast Asia, there's a lot of changing leadership, right? Including in Malaysia, in the Philippines, and actually follow with many other countries in the world. So how do you see this uh, uh, changing leadership, if you have any thoughts about that? And uh, will, will it affect ASEAN in general? And by the way, uh, many analysts also see that there is a democratic backlash in Southeast Asia, especially during this pandemic. So how do you see the future of democracy? I mean, not the future, actually. I mean, how do you see the state of democracy in Southeast Asia in 2022? Um, I think when, when it comes to the state of democracy in Southeast Asia, this year, for me, I would say that it seems like it is a starter uh, I, I I'd like to compare it to like the, the dinner meal, you know, like uh, this year it seems to be a starter for the grandest and main course next year because actually you can see that this year you have uh, several major elections happening in of course the Philippines and also um, the dissolution of the parliament and then the election in Malaysia but I think you can see this year that you can see the vibe and the trend of paving the way towards the general elections in many countries next year, uh, especially in Cambodia, of course. In Singapore, next year you have the presidential election, though it is not the um, general election as the Singaporean uh, people will choose their MPs, but they're going to have the, president, the presidential election, which is one of the um, major elections in uh, Singapore as well. Of course, Thailand next year, we, we are going to have um, the general election in either um, March or May. And also, uh, we might have to see the situation in Myanmar because, as we all know, that um, next year, um, based on the current constitution of Myanmar, um, the military authority uh, will no longer be able to uh, hold the power um, constitutionally. So it means that it seems like next year, Myanmar will have the general election, which will indeed direct the future of Myanmar, on which um, sides will take into power in Myanmar politics. And also next year will be one of the challenging year for Indonesia because even though Indonesia will have the general election in 2024, but next year you can see the growing trend of how Indonesia will lead into the general election because as far as I remember, Indonesia will have the election in like early 2024, right? In That's like true. February or March. Yes. Right. Yeah. So next year, uh, you it'll be. I think for me, it will be fancy and juicy for those who are following. Um, the political situation in Southeast Asia. You can see the new trend of Southeast Asian governments, either it would be left or right, and also the capabilities of the new governments in many countries, which still include include uh, Malaysia and the Philippines. And also, I think the role of Indonesia as an ASEAN chairmanship on how to deal with the regional situation, especially in Myanmar or smaller state. So when it comes to your question that uh, what is the state of democracy in Southeast Asia this year, I think it is like the the starter, as I said, towards the grandest and the more challenging democratic situation in this region. 
And as you say, that someone said that um, democracy, and we, we have been encountering with uh, the political backlash in Southeast Asia, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic. I think when you talked about political backlash in democracy in Southeast Asia, the most important thing we have to talk about, which is very ideologically, um, which is very ideal, is that what's the definition of democracy in this sense? Because there are many times that analysts define the word uh, democracy towards some sort of like the theoretical democratic definition that someone might say that it will not fit into the situation happening in Southeast Asia because uh, when we compare the concept of democracy between um, Europe and our friends in European countries or um, the US to countries in Southeast Asia, you can't find any exact similarities between these two examples because there are many people who say that democracy in Southeast Asia has a unique characteristics. So I think it's quite very interesting to define um, the word democracy when it comes to political backlash in this sense. Someone might say that um, the government in Southeast Asia now has become more conservative, too far right or whatever. But I think it's back to the sense that when we create our own concept of democracy in Southeast Asia, we are in a different context, in a different approach to when uh, the European or when uh, the American countries created their own concept of democracy. So I think Southeast Asia is quite very unique in this sense when it comes to democracy. So yes, so for me, I think political backlash, it might happen in some countries, of course, uh, for, for example, like the situation in Myanmar, it is indeed a political backlash in, um, demo uh, in democratic uh, development. But in some other countries, I would say it, it still has its own unique characteristics in this sense. Thank you. Thank you, Janet. So let me close the question uh, at the interview with Jesslyn. So Jesslyn, Janet mentioned about the important for Indonesia to be careful when holding the chairmanship of ASEAN next year. So trying to be a bit forward, right, to what happened next year. So what should be the attention of Indonesia as the chairman of ASEAN in your view? There are several points that Indonesia will have to focus on because ASEAN is like what um my fellow uh, colleagues have already mentioned ASEAN is in the central amidst the competition so it has to do more in order to to be central and currently ASEAN is in a strategic compli complacency mode I can say they are we are pretty optimistic but situation is heightening in the Taiwan Straits in Russia Ukraine and it will have implications to our region so first of all, what we have to do is to, the AOIP is important because it is the only document right now that outlines our vision for the Indo-Pacific region. And the external powers are interested in the AOIP, especially the Indo-Pacific nations, the countries with the Indo-Pacific strategies. They have been citing AOIP in their statements a lot as the foundation of their cooperation with ASEAN. 
So coming up with a plan of action for the AOIP is necessary to strengthen our cooperation with the external dialogue partners, especially on maritime connectivity, climate change, and also economic cooperation. So for connectivity, we have the master plan on ASEAN connectivity 2025. And also the Indo-Pacific nations have also uh, come up with the Partnership for Global Infrastructure and Investment, which was the Build Back Better World 2.0, and also the BRI with China. So for economic cooperation, post-pandemic economic recovery is especially important for our, our region. We for ASEAN internet among ASEAN internally we have the ASEAN Comprehensive Recovery Framework ACRF and also with external powers we have the RCEP and APEF the IPEF the IPEF right now still needs more concrete action plan because there is no concrete action plan on the IPEF yet so we don't know what kind of cooperation can be uh carried out under the IPEF. And another thing that ASEAN under the Indonesian chairmanship will have to look at is the uh, situation in Myanmar. So in the ASEAN summit in November, the ASEAN state leaders have agreed to come up with an in implementation implementation plan for the five-point consensus. And so next year, we are going to see them drafting and then implement this, hopefully. And also... Hopefully, the humanitarian support to Myanmar can be announced. And even though Cambodia has a fairly good relationship with the junta, but the communication didn't go very well as well. So we are still looking at how Indonesia can enhance their com communication with the junta. And also, who are they going to appoint as their special envoy to Myanmar after the departure of Prop Sokon? And another thing that we have to look at is the South China Sea Code of Conduct. So uh, under the Indonesian Chairmanship, hopefully we can see the conclusion of the South China Sea Code of Conduct. But there are still a few matters from the first drop that still need to be discussed further, which is the geographic scope and the dispute settlement mechanisms and the involvement of non-claimant states. And also, most importantly, whether or not it will be legally binding. So a lot of people have criticized that the South China Sea Code of Conduct seems irrelevant and not feasible anymore. But actually, it is still very important because it, it is not there to resolve the disputes. But it is important to show that China is still willing to enter into negotiation with ASEAN. And also, ASEAN states also see the South China Sea Code of Conduct as a useful engagement with China. So these are the things that... So, uh, ASEAN have to do in, in midst of all the um, competition that will challenge its centrality. And also on the rise of multilateralism, ASEAN have to show that what it can do to preserve its centrality because some people are saying that the rise of multilateral settings like AUKUS and Quad will challenge ASEAN centrality. And we have to prove that ASEAN centrality is something earned but not given. So under the Indonesian chairmanship, Indonesia has to do more actions rather than just visions. Thank you.
Wow, that's a powerful message. Uh, so Asian centrality needs to be earned, not given. Yeah, Jocelyn. So I think, you know, we have covered a lot of things happening in Southeast Asia, from Myanmar, from in uh, Cambodian the chairmanship, from the upcoming Indonesia chairmanship, the geopolitical rivalry, right, that affects ASEAN and China. Uh, I mean, ASEAN uh, by the US and China. And a lot of things that we have discussed um, I'd like to invite each of us, uh, I mean, each of you to to give a closing statement. So 30 seconds each uh, uh, to share to our listeners uh, anything that you wish from them to do. Uh, for example, uh, be ready with a lot of things happening in 2023 or uh, you want them to continue their advocacy in, in any things right uh, related to ASEAN so feel free to share what what you have on your mind so let's start with uh, Chai probably so Chai what's your last statement uh, my last statement is that I would like to put a great emphasis on ASEAN centrality again and that is a good point that you mentioned earlier from Jason's point that ASEAN centrality need to be earned not given but before ASEAN centrality can be earned from outsider is that it's ourselves that how we define ASEAN centrality Sometimes I feel like it's it's not really a clear definition what they mean by ASEAN centrality. Because everyone knows that ASEAN centrality is a self-proclaimed by ASEAN. Whether ASEAN centrality is only about the ability to gather superpower to the table of discussion, or it can be beyond that. Or it may be the ability to settle the problem by ourselves, to stay relevant. Now we're discussing a lot about the geopolitical challenge. And all of these tremendous sets of challenge can easily erode the ASEAN relevance and centrality. That's why we need to be careful about this. And I hope that uh, 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 the, the last point is that I hope we still can try to uh, mobilize the attention on the relevancy of ASEAN for solving the internal crisis, the internal uh, regions. And beyond that, we still can contribute back to the outside uh, issues um, but uh, I still have a one optimistic point is that, uh, of course, I still was, ASEAN will still uh, continue to be relevant. And all of the leaders leader truly understand, like I said earlier, the challenge could easily undermine the centrality. That's why this year they really put a great emphasis on this. You can find a lot of uh, uh, words centrality in the statement this year which means that they know it will be a great challenge to the centrality. And taking on from Cambodia ASEAN Chairmanship, Indonesia come with the same epicenter of growth, ASEAN matter. We want, we want to show the world that ASEAN really matters. Even at this super challenging situation, ASEAN continue to be matter and continue to be a center for growth, not, a, not an epicenter for only competition. That is probably my my highlight from the 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 proposed theme of the Indonesia chairmanship next year, and so I hope the centrality will be strengthened through the constructive dialogue, continue to provide the platform with ASEAN at the core, to not only member states but also all of the major powers as well. Yeah, thank you. All right, thank you, Chai. How about you, Janet? Um, I would say stay tuned. Stay tuned to the ongoing challenges and questions that remains um, challenging ASEAN. The future of Timor-Leste as the additional member after the 
um, agreements this year that um, ASEAN leaders agreed in principle um, to find a way of having Timor Leste as a new member of ASEAN. And also the situation in the South China Sea, the way on how we won't let the code of conduct to become simply the new version of the DOC and not an excuse to a certain country to use this document as the way to prevent the engagement from third countries outside the region. Also Myanmar, the testament of ASEAN in dealing with the situation within its own region, and also the elections, the new governments of ASEAN countries and how they perceive the world, um, how they deal with the current regional situations and how they see ASEAN as the future of this region, especially if it happens, the election in Myanmar, which will be the biggest testament on how ASEAN will be in the future. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Janet. So last but not least, Jocelyn, so what's your last statement? Thank you, Nobdo. So our, my last statement is we should, like what Janet and Chai have mentioned, uh, is to look forward to what will happen next year under Xi Jinping's term. And also after um, the Democrats have um, strengthened their um, influence better in the house after the midterm and also in Southeast Asia we have um, several countries have undergone change of leadership so what we can expect from um, all these changes in domestic politics or not changes developments in domestic politics will bring to the international arena and also the situations in the Taiwan Strait will what will um, the what will be the implications and also i'm also thinking if asean should have a conflict settlement mechanism because right now the asean mechanisms like uh arf eas they are focusing more on confidence building and also preventive diplomacy but the conflict mechanism conflict resolving mechanism is not there yet but with all the heightening tensions, uh, will there be a possibility of a armed conflict? And what can ASEAN do since we host so many strategic sea lanes? And what can we do in in case of this kind of co conflict? Yeah, so we need to start thinking about the possibility of an armed conflict. We cannot stay too optimistic as well. That's my closing statement. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jocelyn. And uh, let me invite all listeners to to thank uh, everyone here. Um, Chanet Ananta Panyasu, Chai Lim, and Jocelyn Tan, uh, our colleagues and members of the Southeast Asian Society of Foreign Affairs. We've shared a lot of insights today in this episode. So thank you so much, guys, for your time and looking forward to meeting you uh, in 2023. And of course, uh, welcome to have you again uh, to have a year-end review in 2023. And let's see what's going to be happening in ASEAN next year. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Noto.